Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The opioid epidemic is currently front and center in the world of substance abuse. But how do you keep young people from experimenting with all harmful substances or getting treatment if they need it? It's a challenge for the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Abuse, but the NCADA feels it is meeting that challenge with a program designed to do so. It's called the Transitional Counseling Program, TCP. And here to tell us how it works and why it's needed are Nicole Dawsey, NCADA's Executive Director, Nisha Patel is Assistant Superintendent for Secondary Education at the Fox C6 School District. Ladies, thanks so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you. Thank Nicole, you. let me begin with you. How does TCP work and how well is it working? So TCP was born out of a certain kind of failure. At NCADA, we have always done assessments for youth and adults. Um, and during an assessment, what that really means is meeting with one of our professional counselors to assess and evaluate where that person is, what um, they might benefit from. Is treatment needed? If it is, how can we find them a treatment facility that best meet their, meets their needs? If it's not indicated, then maybe are there some supports that we can put in place? Mm-hmm. Now, we've been doing that since our founding almost uh, 55 years ago. But in some follow-ups, particularly with our adolescents, we were finding a high motivation to change once they left our office. But then when we did some follow-ups, they weren't taking the steps that our counselors had recommended. And so we really were kind of scratching our heads, figuring out why that was. And so what we looked to do is figure out how we could close the motivation gap. And so motivation to abuse, motivation to seek help, Okay, whatever that help is, motivation to seek help. So TCP actually began in August of 2014. As we were thinking, there has to be a better way for us to meet the needs of teens and their families who are faced with this decision of now what? Let's say that you have a young person who gets caught um, juuling or vaping in the school bathroom. Let's say they are um, caught coming drunk to a school dance. Does that teenager need treatment? Maybe, maybe not. Does the school need to act on that? Absolutely. Um, Many schools, though, are not necessarily equipped to deal with that. And many teens and their families need some sort of resource to help them navigate that. Because when the families are faced with that decision, like, oh, man, now what do we do? Our teenager got in trouble with their school. They are suspended or now they're being connected with a juvenile officer. What do we do now? And that's where we stepped in. We knew we needed to provide some additional support for those teens and their families who were faced with that decision. Mm-hmm. And and what is that? What does, does that support involve? So the transitional counseling program starts with any teenager at no cost. It doesn't matter if they're coming from Jennings, from Clayton, from Fox, anywhere in our seven-county service area. Mm -hmm. They come in, um, they meet with one of our counselors for about an hour and a half. They fill out some paperwork. Essentially, it's kind of a self-survey. Simultaneous to that, the caregiver is filling out a survey as well. Then the counselor meets with that teenager for a little bit of time meets with the adult for a little bit of time, then meets with them both to compare because sometimes the stories don't always mesh. Mm -hmm. If treatment is indicated, 
we automatically make a warm handoff to a treatment facility. And NCADA does not provide treatment, so we can provide unbiased referrals and assessments. However, if treatment is not indicated, if that is not in that teen's best interest at that point in time, or maybe we don't even know yet, because teenagers can be tough nuts to crack. So maybe we don't know yet. We will then enroll them in TCP, and that's anywhere from a four to six week program. It can go a little bit beyond six weeks, but six weeks is generally the max. Four to six weeks where they're meeting with the counselor to provide some motivational interviewing. Hopefully the caregiver is also making use of meeting with the counselor as well. But then they're also assigned to some educational workshops. So we have six educational workshops that um, we offer at various locations throughout our service area. And they're on things like decision making, finding positive outlets, marijuana. So they're learning more about the substance that they might actually be putting in their bodies. Um, Maybe it's something about um, addiction and they're learning about that. And those educational workshops are delivered in a non-clinical setting. Those are really fact-based Um, motivation-based, and it's not a group situation. So this isn't a time for the teens to one-up each other and tell the story about what brought them in the doors. I mean, this is really a time for them to reflect on their own decisions Mm -hmm. and think about if the decisions they're making are bringing them closer to or further from their goals. The final component is that if a teenager, let's say, has been suspended from school, if maybe they're in the alternative school setting and they're having trouble staying up with their work, um, we can provide some educational support, also at no cost, all of this is no cost, that we can then help the teenager stay on pace with their schoolwork. Um, A lot of times that might be helping some study skills, Um, Or maybe it's even helping them fill out some college applications or some job applications. Um, All of this is done in a really non-punitive environment. We don't drug test the kids. We provide snacks. We provide computers to help them stay up to to date on their school. We even had a massage chair donated from a local (laughs) company. It's a very warm and welcoming space. And if indeed we do realize that this teen needs something else, maybe they're suffering from attachment issues, maybe they have a trauma, um, maybe they've got some mental health disorders, we can then make a really appropriate warm handoff and can connect with the school to say, this is what's going on with this teen and their family. Here's some other supports we recommend. I want to follow up on some of the things you've said, but let's get Nisha Patel into the discussion. Uh, what is your experience with this program in your district? One of the things, you know, as educators, we get into this field to change lives. Our students that are coming to us right now, we need to get them ready for college, career, or just plain life. Mm. And what we're noticing to me is the world today is very different from the way the world was when probably all three of us went to school. Um, with the, you know, with the smartphones and the access to social media, we're having a lot of students experiment more and more mm. with drugs and alcohol. So one of the things that we wanted to do is to make sure that when the kids do experiment with something like that, that we have not only just disciplining the kids, but we have a program in place that can help them overcome that. Because when, as educators, we don't discipline just to 
discipline. Mm -hmm. We're disciplining to change the behavior. And the transition counseling program is something that we've partnered with for the past four years. We have a 90% completion rate. So when students come to me for making poor choices, absolutely they have consequences, but our biggest goal is how do we transition them back into school to be successful in life and get through high school. Um, so one of the things that we do is when I talk to the parents and the students, a lot of them just don't know where to go for help or how to even approach the situation. So partnering with NCADA, we've been able to do that. And like I said, 90% completion rate, and then we follow up with these students six months later, you know, once they're back in high school. Are they addressing, are they participating in those same kinds of behavior? We have a 75% right now um, rate of student success. So to me, that says that partnering with this program is helping our kids and our parents. Do the kids come to you or do you seek them out somehow or discover them somehow? Actually, for me in the role that I'm in, when a student does anything with drugs or alcohol at the school setting, they do come to me because they're disciplined through mm -hmm. my office. Mm -hmm. They have a certain number of discipline days they get and then from, from my hearing and conversation, we decide on what next steps are. Are there, are there kids out there that probably are partaking in these behaviors? Absolutely. How do we find them out? To me, it's all about prevention. And I know in a whole other part that NCADA has is school-based counseling. And we're trying to get into that as well. How, how big a problem is it uh, at Fox? You know, right now, honestly, I'm going to touch some wood if I had it right uh -huh. now. But um, this year, it's not been as big as it has been in the past few years. And when I say big, I, I don't want to, you know, sound mm. like, oh, my gosh, we have a lot of it. But to me, even if you have one kid that you can help, that's good. Um, Nicole, I guess it's fair to assume that a lot of kids, because they are being kids, and they, I know you make reference in some of your literature to the young brain, it's a time when they experiment. So there's a lot of this stuff going on to a greater and, and lesser degree. Over the four years of your program, TCP program, uh, how well has it worked? So you're exactly right in that, you know, we do talk a lot about the developing teen brain, and it is, quote unquote, <clears throat> normal for teens to make risky decisions. At NCADA, we try to encourage them to make healthy risks, positive risks, like asking somebody out on a date that you think is cute or um, maybe trying out for the school play. But that said, there are people, not just teens, who are going to make some risky decisions. And at NCADA, we try to help teach and model and guide people of all ages to make some healthier decisions. Now, this grant, since we first began, and it was funded from an innovation grant from both the Missouri Foundation for Health and the St. Louis County Children's Service Fund. Right now, the Missouri Foundation for Health is really the sole source of funding. Um, and besides the ability to have a truck and trailer and mobile counseling unit in Jefferson County, and that's made possible from the Jefferson Foundation. But since 2014, um, just some, some outcomes, 72% of our participants reported maintaining sobriety while being enrolled in the program. Then, after we do a period of three and six month follow-up phone calls, 82% of the adolescents reported that they had no further substance-related disciplinary incidents while they were participating in TCP or since they had cycled out of the program. 
that's pretty significant. The biggest area of impact that we have seen, and this is both anecdotally and in the quantitative data, is the improved relationships between teens and their caregivers as a direct result of this program. Um, If people out there listening care about numbers and data, it's actually been proven statistically significant. We have a p-value. That's really cool. And so that's one of those unintended consequences that we weren't necessarily seeking out. But when the teenager is doing better and making healthier decisions, the whole sort of family unit, whatever that looks like, mm. comes together and can stop yelling so much and cannot, can, can stop having arguments about taking out the trash where that one argument sort of explodes into something else, right? And so those improved caregiver dynamics with the teenager are something that we're almost more proud of than maintaining sobriety, and that's certainly exciting for us. I've got to take a break in a moment, but how confident are you that when they respond as to whether or not they have not fallen back, that they are telling the truth? Very confident, because we haven't given them any reason to bend the truth from day one. Um, Our staff and that includes the people doing the follow-up surveys. We get kids. We talk to kids like they're real human beings. Um, and because we're not doing any sort of gotchas, we're not, again, drug testing, it is non-punitive, we try to create an environment that's very safe. So I am fully confident in the teens, um, in the fact that the teens are telling the truth. Nisha, you too? I would absolutely agree with that, especially with it just not being non-punitive from their end. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's certainly good to hear. I mean, the numbers sound pretty good. We have to take a break. Let's do that now. Continue our conversation on teenage substance abuse and ways to deal with it in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Now back to our conversation with Nicole Dowsey, NCADA's Executive Director, and Michelle uh, Nisha Patel, an Assistant Superintendent in the Fox C6 School District. Uh, Nicole, I see in your literature that you speak of something called science-based education as part of this. What, what is that exactly? Science or fact-based information simply refers to the notion that we are not using judgments or values We are indeed using brain science. We're talking to teenagers and their caregivers about how the brain works, what we know about how different substances impact the brain. We show them MRI scans. We are indeed using modern research. These are, you know, no longer are the days of just say no or drugs are bad. That doesn't work. Teenagers today are so intelligent, and they have Google at their fingertips. They will fact check us. So we have to have our facts straight. And that's whether we're in the classroom, serving kids of all ages and stages, regardless of risk, or whether it's in the transitional counseling program, 
for teens who have started to make some missteps mm-hmm. with um, with substances. And I would argue that those teens in particular will claim to be the experts mm-hmm. because they've been there, done that. Mm-hmm. So we have to come from a science and fact-based perspective. I should point out later this week, we're going to be doing a program on young brains and uh, specifically with uh, regard to the juvenile justice system. And I think that's going to be an interesting program as well. Michelle, back to the school. What seems to be the drug of choice when drugs are involved with these young people? Right now, I would say from all the students that we've been sending to our TCP program, 88% of them are um, experimenting with marijuana Mm -hmm. and then followed with alcohol from that. For, For us, from our school perspective, we're seeing mostly marijuana, alcohol, and then we're seeing a lot of vaping and jewels and all that stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important part is building relationships with those students. Mm-hmm. Because if we can build relationships with them, get to know them, um, find out what's happening in the family unit, you know, what's, ha- what's causing you stress. We know social media is huge right now and having huge implications on the kids' lives right now. What can we do? To prevent that, that's our goal. Because to me, the best in, pr- intervention is prevention. I'm glad so we can do that. I'm glad that you didn't mention opioids. Was the problem that that is in the country today? It's good to hear that kids perhaps are not uh, getting as heavily involved as uh, as some others. And that's really true. So mm-hmm. when we talk about the opioid epidemic, we're really looking at the ages of um, 25 to 45. Um, what Nisha said earlier about knocking on wood, saying that the numbers at Fox have been less, if not constant, is really true across um, our area. Teen drug use is lower than it's ever been before. Teens know what they're doing. They're concerned about putting things into their bodies. They're concerned about what their future is going to look like. And beyond the rise of Julian vaping and the electronic cigarettes, all of the other substances for teens are either the same as they've been, they're pretty much holding steady, or they're actually lower than they've ever been before. Nisha, why do you think that is? I mean, that's the departure from what we've been led to believe in pa- in the past. I think, honestly, it's the schools and, you know, just families and getting kids to be involved in the school system, whether it's through activities or building relationships, like I mentioned earlier, getting to know them at a deeper level more than come into the classroom and I'm going to, you know, give you all this information and then you're going to walk out of the classroom. To me, it's about getting to know the kids. How about the relationship with the parents? The parents are heavily involved in this. In general terms, what has that response been? With the TCP program, it has been outstanding. One of the things that we were actually missing till up till this year is the family component and the parent piece. And so this is the first year we're actually, from my standpoint, I'm requiring the parents to also go to a session. Mm-hmm. And they have been very positive about that. Up till now, we were missing that link you know, the parent piece, but now we have that in place. That's interesting, uh, Nicole, because I think we all know that uh, teenagers don't always get along so terrifically well with their parents at that particular stage of life. Now that is true, and to Nisha's point, the parent or caregiver component is optional. So while we're hosting the educational workshops, usually in the evening for the students, we make available a, a, corresponding course for the caregivers so that when they get in the car and the caregiver says, so what'd you learn tonight? 
The teenager can't say nothing. They can actually say, really? Because I learned some very interesting things about marijuana and I learned what a dab is and I learned all about mm -hmm. the shatter. Mm -hmm. And then that creates a conversation. Now, many times the caregiver workshop evolves into sort of tips and tricks with the parents or with the families. For example, how are you re rebuilding trust? What does your consequence look like? Well, I took my kid's gaming system away. Well, really? Because I didn't give them any sort of consequence. And then they can sort of work together as we facilitate that conversation. As you said, the perception is that teens really don't care what their parents have to say or what adults have to say. And the research tells us that that couldn't be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, we have a talk about it campaign that the entire premise of the campaign rests on the fact that teens are 50% likely, 50% less likely to misuse substances when the conversations are happening amongst adults, right? So when parents or when adults express disapproval, and set consequences and talk about boundaries, teens are 50% less likely to use. I mean, that's pretty incredible. So how can we foster these conversations? And I will say that while Fox has been one of the early adopters of the program, we are partners with school districts and that's public and non-publics all across the region that we serve. Fox has definitely been one of our earliest champions. And as a matter of fact, we have a satellite kind of mobile unit that's actually at their service center. That said, any school um, is open to giving us a call and parents who maybe don't wanna go through the school, but maybe would like to get their teen help, they can call us directly as well. Right. Nishtu, what has your experience been with parents on that first contact when you interact with them saying, you've got a child here who has a problem? The first um, contact may not always be the most positive because a lot of times, honestly, parents are the missing link and they don't know and they may not be aware of the situation that's happening with their child. So the first contact, you know, it just depends on how we handle that situation. Um, but I know that after that, when we explain to them that their child is not only just being disciplined, but here are all the things we're putting in place to support them that's when you realize that the parents are opening up and trusting us with their student um, and their child. So to us, it's more about, yes, your child partake, partook in this behavior, here are the consequences, but here's all the support we're gonna provide. And the best thing we could have done was partner with NCADA and be able to provide them that support because it's not something that we're experts in as a classroom teacher or a counselor or an administrator. Now we have an organization that we can partner with that has the research that's science-based and can help us. How do you differentiate this from one of our listeners? How do you differentiate between experimentation and addiction? So that is not something I do because mm -hmm. I do not have my counseling degree, mm -hmm. but it is something that our licensed and certified counselors do. And that's part of that interview process that I mentioned. We have taken um, various instruments that are evidence-based and well-respected in the community um, and in the research field. And those sorts of questions as the teen answers them, we will be able to tell kind of the level of their use, whether it is experimentation, whether they are um, venturing down a path of addiction, but there's there's quite a spectrum in there. And that's one of the reasons why the Transitional Counseling Program is so great because it allows us some time to really, um, like I said before, crack that nut and find out what's really going on. 
at first glance, it might seem early experimentation. Mm -hmm. Once we do a little digging, we might figure out, wow, there's really a lot going on here. Or maybe they are experimenting, but it's not because they have a substance use disorder. It's because they have some sort of deep-seated trauma. Maybe they have some sort of emotional or attachment issues. Um, Maybe their parents are going through a divorce, and this is their way of sort of seeking help. Um, there's a diagnose, there's a, a diagnostic criteria, it's called mm-hmm. the DSM, and that's what our counselors will use to determine if that teen has a substance use disorder. I read and have heard that one of the things you do is pro- provide the youngsters with an alternative, alternative sources of pleasure. Now, what would that involve? Well, one of the really amazing things that's come out of this program is that we have been able to engage some of the young people who have gone through transitional counseling program who have now found some positive outlets and want a, maybe a different peer group that supports their non-using. We've been able to link them up through some of our teen leadership camps to get them into things like kickboxing or martial arts, or maybe it's, hey, come and volunteer with NCADA. I mean, it's really amazing um, the transformation that we've been able to see in some of the young people at our leadership camps, for example, some of the fun activities that promote the positive and natural flow of dopamine are everything from learning how to fish to paddle boating to square <laughs> dancing to actually just having a conversation with somebody who cares about you. Um, but we certainly will connect them with the school to say, hey, you know, think this this kiddo would be really good in X. Perhaps you might have an opportunity for them. And that's where partners like um, Nisha are so helpful because they are willing to help the child. They are child first. We've got to wrap this up, but how uh, districts and and people and parents who want to get involved in something like this, how do they do so? Absolutely. So they can give us a call at 314-962-3456 or check us out on our website, which is ncada dash stl.org. We're always looking to add schools. We're always also looking to add some non-traditional partners like the juvenile office, maybe like some healthcare facilities to think about what are some ways we can close the gaps and, and meet our young people where they're at. We will put uh, all of the information you just gave us there on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Going to have to leave it at that. I want to thank uh, Nicole Dawsey, NCADA's Executive Director, and Nisha Patel, also Assistant Superintendent for Secondary Education at the Fox C6 School District. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.